All right. Good morning again. If you missed earlier, uh, my name is Pastor John. I'm the children's pastor. I'm the guy that loves hot dogs. Um, and uh, we're going to have, uh, could we turn the heat down a little bit here in the main? That would be awesome. Um, just trying to read the crowd. Everybody's doing this. And, and uh, it happens a lot when I walk out on stages. But I, I, think, I, think, I think today it's because, I think today it's because uh, it's hot in the room. So if we could do that, that would be awesome. If someone could get someone who knows what they're doing or else I can walk back there and do it. But that would probably be a little distracting. Um, but uh, we're going to keep talking today. Jim has been taking us through the, uh, this series called Advantage Us. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, I get to wrap things up today um, talking about a different angle of the Holy Spirit. We've learned about the, the power that he offers to us, the, uh, uh, the dynamic uh, leading and prompting that he gives us to act on his behalf, to act righteously in this world. And I feel like I've left every week um, during this series just encouraged and just saying, man, we can do this with the Holy Spirit's help. This has been awesome. And I feel like Jim's just done a fantastic job of opening up the scriptures and talking to us about this third person, the Holy Spirit. And it's so good because in my small group, maybe you guys are similar. There are lots of people in our small group that have said, I've never even thought about the Holy Spirit or heard any sermons on him. Um, and so this has been very good. I was very confused. I went to a church, I was very confused. And so this was very helpful. I've been enjoying this series. And today I feel like we're fitting a fitting ending to it um, because we're going to talk about, we're going to see what happens when we cut ourselves off from the Holy Spirit, when we grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to go today. Because anytime that we choose less than what God designs for us, it breaks his heart. When we choose less than what God designed for us, it breaks God's heart. I love my family. God loves us. We're his family. And I love my kids. And, and that's why it bothers me when I see my kids doing stuff to hurt each other. I mean, that's like the most, like, that's like the worst, right? When, when they do things to hurt each other, I'm like, I love them both. What, what are you guys doing? And, and so it was a few months ago, uh, I found out they were on the bus making fun of each other, embarrassing each other in front of the other kids so that they kind of would be accepted. We thought they were cool. And, and they were kind of telling secrets about each other on the bus. Sat them down and sat them down and said, guys, what are you doing? You are family. You are brothers and sisters. And I looked at my boys. I said something like this. I said, you see this girl over here? She's your sister. Okay. I don't care how many teams you play on. She is your number one teammate. You will always defend her. You will always protect her. You will always have her back. Do you get that? Yes, dad, we get that. She's more important than any teammate or friend you'll ever have. Yes, dad, we get that. And I said to Allie, I said, you see these boys over here? These are your brothers. Until a best friend puts a ring on your finger, they are the most important best friends you will ever have. They're more important than any best friend you'll ever have. You will always defend them. They come before any friend. Do you understand that? They are your brothers. They are your family. Yes, dad, I get that. And so I understand as a father what it's like to see my kids do things that I know are going to hurt themselves or see them hurt each other. That, that breaks my heart. That grieves my heart as a dad. I learned that from my dad. He, he, he would, I remember this one time, it's the only time I can remember as a teenager where my dad put his hands on me. But I, I was out with my sister and, and some friends from, from youth group. We went out to McDonald's after a, a church service. And, and, uh, and I came home early. And, and I, we went there together. My sister and I did. And I came home with a friend. And my dad said, where's your sister? I said, well, I, you know, I wanted to come home early. I wanted to watch. Maybe it was football was on. or I don't know what it was. I wanted to come home early. And he got up out of that, that couch. He picked me up against the wall. He said, when I think you are with your sister, you are with your sister. Do you understand I understand. Now I understand. Now that I'm a dad, I understand what it's like. I care about my kids. And, and when they do things that hurt each other or let, let each other kind of go unprotected, that's a big deal to me. And see, God feels the same way about us. And when we make choices that, that he sees is going to hurt us or is going to hurt one of his other kids, that, that upsets him, that grieves his heart. When we choose less than what God designed for us, it actually breaks his heart. That's what grief is. 
Let's take a look at a passage today. We're going to look at three, to be honest, but we're going to start with one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. If you need a Bible, you'll want one today. Please follow along. Raise your hand. Our ushers will come and put one in your hand. You can keep it if you need it. If not, you can leave it in the seat and we'll get it afterwards and give it to someone else. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. We're going to actually read this verse together, so you want to find it. And in this book, uh, Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he cares about, uh, that he had started. Paul actually spent three years with the Ephesians, one of his longest stops as he was going around the country, or I'm sorry, around the world, planting churches. And, and so he cared about these people deeply. He gives them all kinds of instructions in, in Ephesians 4 about how to treat each other, about how to not act towards each other. And then he comes to the very end. We're just going to read one verse together. Go ahead and stand up when you found it. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Let's read this together. One verse, Ephesians 4, verse 30. Here we go, one, two, three. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Have a seat. Paul makes it real simple, just like my dad made it real simple for me that day. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one who seals you for the day of redemption. And I'll come back to what that means here in a sec. I don't know about you guys, but I usually know right away when I grieve the Spirit of God. Because he kind of puts this yucky feeling inside of me. I just kind of feel like, oh, my heart just says, you know, why did you just do that? Or, or usually for me, it's why did you just say that? And, and, I, and I feel like, ah, oh, this, this yuckiness just comes that's grieving the Holy Spirit. We're reminded by this passage that the Holy Spirit is a person. He, he's, he's not just some force like Star Wars. He is a person. He's not mystical. He's not a fate. He's not impersonal. He is a person. And, and like a person, he can be grieved. In fact, the word here in Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That word, uh, when Paul wrote that in the Greek language, the people who read it at that time, the word that he chose is a word that is only used of close, intimate friends or a close, intimate relationship, husband and wife or close friends. And it's the word that, that is used when that person that you feel very close to betrays you. The shock, the, the, the just the, oh my goodness, I can't believe you, that, that this is happening. The, the sorrow that comes, uh, the devastation, the hurt, the wound. That's the picture that, that Paul says, when we, what we can do to the Holy Spirit, we grieve him when we betray him. When we, when we sin after we're one of his kids, it, it just shocks him. It devastates him when we would go back to living the life that we had left behind. That's the, the point. Uh, the American Dictionary describes grieving as to, or, or defines it this way, to distress mentally, to cause, to feel sorrow. And we got to put together those definitions there from the Greek word and, and our, diff, our, our dictionary. Simply put, grieving the Holy Spirit is causing him to feel sorrow, heavy sorrow over my betrayal or over a believer's betrayal. That's what grieving the Holy Spirit is. We actually cause the God of the universe to feel sorrow because we have betrayed him or his trust. Those of us who are sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30 says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means that, that we cannot, we are guaranteed salvation. It's not something we'll ever lose. When we, are, when we accept Jesus as our forever friends, they tell the kids, or as the leader of our life, or we ask him into our life, whatever it is, when we accept him, we are given the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into the body. We are placed into, that's what we're immersed into the body of Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit. And we are sealed for that day of redemption, when that will be fulfilled. And so God, in one sense, saves us right now from our guilt, from our shame, from our sin. But then he also will save us in the future when we have that eternal life with him in heaven forever. And the Holy Spirit is our deposit. He guarantees that it's going to happen one day. And so we are given the Holy Spirit. We're sealed by him. But those of us who are, uh, have been given the Holy Spirit, we have Christ living in us through his Spirit. Um, we have the ability to cause him tremendous sorrow, tremendous hurt. The same way that our kids can cause us to be super proud and excited or super upset and hurt and angry. 
God is saddened when we make hurtful, unwise choices. It's painful for him. You know, it's not just like this in Ephesians, though. We actually have a kind of a history of Scripture. In fact, in Genesis 6, the very first book of the Bible, is the first time that God is described as grieved. Genesis 6, 7 after God has just made the world and his, his children that he loves, his creation, it says in verse 7 of chapter 6, the earth was filled with sin and God was grieved in his heart that he had made men on earth and his heart was filled with pain. His heart was filled with pain over people's sin. And then in Isaiah 63, 10, kind of later in the Old Testament, we see again, where the Israelites, their actions of, of kind of turning their backs on God and instead worshiping other gods. Uh, Isaiah 63.10 says that it grieved the Holy Spirit of God. So all throughout Scripture, we're taught that when God's children, when believers in Him, His followers, sin, it grieves the heart of God. It breaks His heart. And it shouldn't surprise us since God is the one who created emotions. He created, you know, feelings inside of us. It shouldn't surprise us that he himself would have them. We're made in his image. We have that connection point with him. And so he also then grieves. He also feels joy. He also feels sadness. And when we choose less than what God designed for us, it breaks his heart. Today we're going to take a look at a story in, in the Old Testament. So go ahead and take something on your bulletin. Mark Ephesians 4, that's what I'm doing here, because we're going to come back to it. The second passage I want to look at today is a story, 2 Samuel chapter 11. This story kind of gives us an outsider's view of, of a person who grieved the heart of God, grieved the Holy Spirit of God, and, and kind of what happened to, to him. This is the story of David. Now, David is described as a man after God's own heart. I mean, he loved God, okay? Godly man, but, but here we're going to see what happens when he begins to grieve the Holy Spirit. He was the second king of Israel. He was the spiritual leader of his nation. Not only his family, and, and here we're going to see where he sort of falls in both categories. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites, they besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now pause right there for a second because that's the verse that sets up the story and is really critical. David should have been where? With his men, right? He should have been out to war. But instead, he sends someone out in his place. Joab, the commander of his army, says, you go. I'm staying back here in Jerusalem. David was being a little lazy. He, he, was, he, he was kind of uh, putting down some of his defenses. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And that's critical because, because David's about to make some big mistakes with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't start off by him waking up and saying, how can I really mess up my life today? What could I do to just totally ruin the people that I love? And that's how it is in our lives too. When we fall away and we grieve the Spirit of God, we don't just do that. We don't just kind of go from, from holy to that. We usually start with small little steps along the way where we let down our defenses. The path to big trouble starts with little letdowns along the way where we get a little lazy. And David wasn't where he should have been. He, he didn't go where he should have gone with his men like he should have. And he's setting himself up to fall. We'll read, pick it up in verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. That's why she was taking that bath. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David goes out, going for a walk, not doing anything wrong, but because he's let down his defenses, he's kind of let go of some of the guardrails in his life, and, and he's not walking where he should anymore. Um, he gets lazy, and now he has an opportunity. He sees a woman bathing, and instead of being a man of honor and turning away, he continues to look, and continues to look to the point where he says, hey, go find out who that woman is. 
And the guy comes and tells him, he says, I don't care, bring her over here. And he commits adultery. And then it gets further complicated by her getting pregnant. You can see the path that he goes down. And you have to believe the Holy Spirit all along the way was screaming, David, what are you doing, man? You should be out with your guys. You should be out to work. What are you doing? And, and then he's going for a walk. David, why are you looking back? Go this way, man. Protect your honor. Protect your integrity. Guard your wife. What are you doing? And, and then he, he continues to go down that path. And, and David, you know, the Holy Spirit's just screaming, stop, man. This is going to ruin it. What are you doing? And David just continues to blast through everything the Holy Spirit says and to the point where he can't even hear him anymore. And, and, and maybe, maybe that happens to you as well. You find yourself considering something you know, you know is wrong, but you feel like, well, I, I just got to make ends meet or, or I, I just, uh, just got to get past this or I just want to be accepted or, or I feel like I'm trapped and I got to get out of this. Whatever it is, we find ourselves and our minds going down a certain way and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us. And the more that we kind of say no to him and say, yeah, get out of my mind. And the Holy Spirit's continuing to draw us and, and move in us. And the more that we say no, that, that voice the Holy Spirit has becomes a whisper until we can't even hear it anymore. We've totally shut him out of our lives. And that's what happened to David. We'll see here in a bit. And not only does David just keep ignoring the Holy Spirit, but, but he's ignoring his man as well. He, he sends in verse three, he sent someone to find out about her when that man said, hey, she's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam. In other words, David, you know Eliam? And that's his daughter. His man is sort of saying, what are you doing? Don't do this. And, and he says, it's, it's Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah was one of David's mighty men, one of his, one of his main guys in, in, in his army. They'd been through so much together. They had explored and conquered and all this. And, and the guy and, and the friend here is saying, David, that's Uriah's wife. What are you doing? And David not only ignores the, the Holy Spirit, but now he ignores his friend. And that's usually the path that we take again down to grieving the Holy Spirit. Godly people come in our lives and we don't want to hear it. We don't, I don't want to hear what you have to say to me. We turn off uh, that person. We turn off the, the, the pastor. We turn off whatever. We're not going to hear it anymore. We don't want to. We kind of start putting ourselves around other people that aren't going to tell us the things we need to hear. And that is a path to destruction. That's a path to grieving the Holy Spirit. And that's where David was going down that path. We can grieve the Holy Spirit in a few basic ways. I want to give you guys a couple. I was thinking as I was studying these passages this week. First of all, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we fall back into old sinful patterns. When we go back to who we were before we knew Christ, or maybe we've grown some, we've matured in our faith, and then we go take steps backwards, that grieves the Holy Spirit. David was the king now. He, he had kind of grown out of this. He, he was supposed to be the spiritual leader. Uh, keep your finger there. Go again back to Ephesians 4. And, and I want to kind of pick out some of the context here of that verse 30 that we read where it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul's talking to believers here. And pick it up in verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, that's not who you are anymore. God changed you. You're a different person. And when we go back to our old ways, when we put on our old dirty clothes that God has taken off of us, it grieves his heart. What are you doing? At salvation, God freed us from our former selves. I mean, genuine decisions for Christ. We see genuine change in a person's life. And, and we become a new person. We go back to those ways it grieves God's heart. Secondly, so we, first we grieve God's heart when we fall back into old sinful patterns. Secondly, we, we grieve God's heart when we hurt other believers. David's friend was saying, this is Uriah's wife. This is Eliam's daughter. Come on, David, what are you doing? But David just busts right through that, doesn't listen, doesn't care, and hurts his own guys in doing what he's doing. And that, that, that grieves the heart of God when we hurt other believers, when we hurt fellow Christians. Again, Paul addressed that in Ephesians 4. 
Look at verse uh, 2 to 4 here. Again, the context for our verse, do not grieve the Spirit of God, at the end of the chapter, is set up right here when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Be completely humble and gentle. Verse 2 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. This is the way we treat each other in the church. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is just one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And when we hurt each other, we grieve God. We're hurting ourselves, our own body. We're all connected to each other. And, and God, when he sees us doing things that, that hurt each other, when we, when we uh, talk about each other behind our backs, when we gossip, when we don't handle sin the right way, when we don't confront in love, when we talk about uh, an experience that someone shared with us in confidentiality, when we betray those believers, those fellow Christ followers, that breaks God's heart. And you get that, I get that, because when one of my kids hurts one of my other kids, it, it hurts me. And, and we take too lightly the consequences that we bring on ourselves when we disparage or talk against or hurt another believer. That is God's son that you're hurting. That is God's daughter. And you better believe that he is vicious about his protection of them the same way that you or I are of our kids. He will fight for them. He loves them. And when you put down or hurt another believer that grieves his heart, the third way that we grieve the Holy Spirit, we fall back into old sinful patterns. We hurt other believers. And the third thing is we allow sin to fester and to go unconfessed. We allow sin to fester. The Holy Spirit is convicting us and we're just turning, it off, turning him off, turning him off, turning him off. That grieves his heart. We'll see this in David's life here in a bit. And so let's go back to that story the day, with David here in... in um, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. The writer says that uh, Bathsheba comes. They commit adultery together. They sleep together. And it's interesting, in, in my Bible, it's in parentheses, now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. You know, she was taking this bath for a reason. And, and on first glance, it's kind of like, that's a little too much information, right? TMI, why is that in there? But the, the, uh, the writer is pointing out something really important. Do you know what it is? It's that she wasn't pregnant ahead of time. Okay, there, there's no mistaking here. David is the one who's the dad. Okay, that's the point. This, this thing that happened, that, that wasn't uh, the husband before he we went off to war. This is, this is David. And, and David wants to go into damage control mode. He wants to say, oh man, I got to fix this. Instead of right there stopping, getting out of it, confessing, making it right, putting, putting light on his sin, he continues to, to go down this path and just does crazy stuff. Pick it up in verse six, after she comes and says she's pregnant. Verse six, so David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. David's got a plan, plan A. Joab sends him David, or sorry, Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him, How's Joab? How are the soldiers? How's things going? I'm your friend. David says to Uriah, Hey, why don't you go home to your house? Wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and David even sends a gift, was sent after him. What a jerk. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of his master's servants, and he did not go down to the house. David was told, Uriah didn't go home. David's like, oh man, that was my plan. Was, you know, the, he would maybe think he was the one that got her pregnant. And so he asked Uriah, well, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah says to David, the ark and the Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander Joab, my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Wow. This is a man of integrity, a man of honor. And, and, and him saying those things sort of just twists that knife that David's feeling in his heart. But David still doesn't say, you know what? You are much more honorable than I am. I need to confess. He doesn't do that still. Plan B. 
Plan B, plan A is not working. David says to him, verse 12, we'll stay here one more day. Tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and he drank with him. And David made him drunk. This is God's man, the, the spiritual leader of his country, getting someone else drunk. What's he doing? He's crazy. That's what happens when, when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. We just make it worse and begin to do stuff that is just crazy. And I have seen uh, woman after woman or man after man who, who is a believer in Jesus but will not deal with sin in their life and wants to hold on to sin. And you know what? Here's one of the biggest lies out there. We think that we can control sin. We think that we can just kind of keep it a small part and because we don't want to get rid of it and it's just going to be okay. No one will ever know. It won't be a big deal. It doesn't affect everything else. And I'm telling you, it does. And David begins to do crazy stuff because he has unconfessed sin in his life. And he's going down this path and he's grieving the Holy Spirit. And so he gets Uriah drunk, tells him to go home. But in the evening... Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his servants, his master's servants. He did not go home. So plan B doesn't work. So David goes to plan C. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it with Uriah. Makes me mad. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down. And die. And David, knowing that Uriah is a man of honor, knows he's not going to read the letter. It wasn't for him. And he carries his own death certificate back to the commander, Joab, who goes along with it and has one of their best men killed in the battle. Verse 17 When the men in the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. David grieves God's heart. He's making crazy choices. He's getting himself dig deeper and deeper into this, into this situation, into this mess. And, and God is, is saying, my son, what are you doing? This is not the life I intended for you. This is not what I called you out of. This is not where I wanted you to be. I had, I had bigger plans. I had bigger dreams. I had so much that you could do for me. I wanted to bless you so much. What are you doing? And David thinks this is all done. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought into his house. She became his wife and she bore him a son. It's all done. Got rid of the husband. Now she's my wife. This is my son. It looks so fine. It's all good. It's okay. And David thinks he's taking care of stuff. He had made a mistake, but now he had fixed it. No more husband. We have a son. That's a blessing from God. God is pleased with me now. He'll forget what happened and we'll move on. But the last sentence of the chapter tells us the story is not over. At the end of verse 27, it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Displeased the Lord. David wasn't all right. You see, God loved David. And we know from scripture in Hebrews that God disciplines those that he loves. The same way that we love our kids and we want to help them become better than they are now God loves us and he's not going to let David stay in this state. You can be sure that your sin never remains a secret. And he wasn't going to let David just stay like that. He loved him too much. Maybe on the outside, David was trying to convince others he had taken care of it. Maybe he had to reassure Bathsheba over and over. It's okay. This is fine. This worked out. I'm sorry about your husband, but it's okay. You have me now. It's going to work. It's great. But on the inside... David was not feeling that way at all. We have, we have insight. We have privilege. Keep your finger there. Mark that one because we'll keep coming back here. 2 Samuel, Ephesians 4. Now turn to, to Psalms 51. We have some, some really cool insight here. 
Because David was a writer, he was a musician, and so he would write songs. And here is one of David's psalms that he wrote, this worship song to God, which shows us what was going on inside of his heart during this time. Now we're sort of skipping ahead a little bit because David in this psalm is confessing his sin to God. Um, But I want to show that now because I want us to see uh, what was actually going on in his heart during this time. Because David wasn't, uh, David wasn't, it wasn't like just like a week or two weeks. This is a long period of time. Don't forget the detail. What happened? She became pregnant, right? And then what happened? She has a son and that didn't happen like in three weeks. Okay. So this is a long time. David's hiding this sin. This is a long time that he's continuing to, to, to grieve the Holy Spirit in his life. And all during that time, David writes about it later in his life as he writes back, reflects back. This is Psalm 51. Let's pick it up in verse 3. David says, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And I've done what's evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict. You're justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David kind of gives us an inside view into what was going on that entire year that he was grieving the heart of God while he tried to convince others on the outside that he was okay. He was dying on the inside. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, guess what? Our own hearts grieve too. Our own hearts. It's not a happy, fun place to be. That yucky feeling, that pit in our stomach, that doesn't go away. I imagine as we're talking about this right now, the Holy Spirit is surfacing truth in your life. You're probably feeling that too. If you're grieving the Holy Spirit, there's some of you right now in the link or here in the main that are feeling that pit right now because of sin that you're harboring in your life. But when we grieve the Holy Spirit, our own hearts grieve. We can't shake it. We kind of see from David's psalm here, there's a couple things, four results of grieving the Holy Spirit. There's probably more, but these are four that I picked out that I noticed. Number one, David's sin was always before him. He, he, he couldn't let go of it. David's sin was always there in his mind. And that happens to me when I, when I have unconfessed sin in my life. I can't shake it. I try to forget about it. I try to say it's not that big a deal. It'll be all right. Oh, and maybe I make myself really, really busy. But then when I'm quiet, when I'm lying in bed, when I'm, when I'm trying to open my Bible, when I'm, when I'm sitting and I'm quiet, it's right there. It's right there. Isn't that your experience? It's right there. And you can't shake that feeling. You can't shake that, that conviction the Holy Spirit has put on you. Second, David, his sin caused a wall between him and God. When we sin against others, it's always against God as well. It grieves God's spirit. And when we grieve his spirit, we don't feel close to him. There's this disconnect. David describes it over and over in this passage where he was disconnected from God against you and you only have I sinned. And and this, 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 he, was, he was away from him. You kind of keep reading. He talks about tears on, on his couch. He, just, he describes just how awful this year was where he was far from God. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He, he, was, he, was, he was so disconnected from God, he was scared that God would take the Holy Spirit from him. Maybe you've been there too. This, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, there's this wall between us and God. Number three, he didn't feel clean. He didn't have that forgiveness or that freedom that Christ offers to us. He was walking around and just feeling dirty and crummy. He says, cleanse me. Now I'll be clean because that whole year he wasn't feeling cleansed. That guilt was just on him. He didn't have that freedom, that forgiveness. He lost, number four, he lost his joy in his life. 
He says, return to me, restore to me the joy of salvation. He hadn't lost his salvation. We can't do that. Remember, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But he, he lost the joy of salvation. There was no freedom. He was just dead. Sometimes I sit in a, and, and I'll have a chance to sit in the front and I'll watch people during a worship service or I'll see people's lives and I'll see God do incredible things. And just they're dead on their face. And I wonder what's going on behind their hearts that they're just, they don't even get it. They're not even alive to the spirit and what he's doing right now. They don't even get it. And for t- many people, it's because they're grieving the Holy Spirit. They're grieving the Holy Spirit. And, and so they've lost their joy in the Lord. They, they've lost that sense of forgiveness and freedom, that, that freedom that comes from putting your head on your pillow at night with a clean conscience. They, they've lost that, that connection with God and there's a wall there and, and their sin is always there right inside of them. It's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible place when we grieve the spirit of God. I know because I've been there. But in the next chapter in 2 Samuel, let's go back and see what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David is confronted. God sends the prophet Nathan. G- David had turned out, tuned out the Holy Spirit so much that God had to speak to him through another person. He couldn't even hear the Holy Spirit. Maybe as we've been going through this series, Advantage Us, you've been thinking, I, I don't hear the Holy Spirit. He doesn't prompt me like that. And maybe it's because you've been grieving him over and over. You've just totally shut out his voice and you can't even hear it anymore. And so God sends Nathan, this prophet, to David. And, and Nathan tells him a story. Nathan tells him a story about someone who had everything. And then he stole from this poor man who only had a little and David, of course, is, who is that guy? He, he should pay. He should be killed. And Nathan looks at him and says, you are that man, David. You are the one. You're the one who had everything that God had given you. And you're the one who took from someone else who only had a little. But it's interesting, even then, while God is calling David on his sin, He's not just venting and saying, how could you do this, David? How could you do this to me? It has nothing to do with God. No, he he, he reminds David of his love for him. Look at it, look at it. Verse seven, Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives to your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. David, I love you. I, I was there with you when you were a shepherd. I, I mean, I made you a great warrior. I helped you defeat that giant Goliath. I was there when I made you king. And man, I've given you all this stuff. I helped you in all your victories as a, as a, as a war leader. I blessed you. I love you. Why would you do this? Why, why would you think that I don't have good plans for you? David, I love you. That's not who you are. I was, I'd give you the best if you just follow my ways. And you begin to see the grieving heart of God. See, when we sin against our loving God, he doesn't condemn us, he grieves. John, John 3 tells us that when we are forgiven, when we're cleansed, we're not, he doesn't condemn us anymore. There is no condemnation. Jesus paid for that on the cross, right? For those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. He doesn't condemn us. He grieves. It's it's when we hurt someone so bad, they're not mad at us. They're just broken. They're broken because they love us. And why would we do that? And it hurts them. And that's how it is when we sin against God. We grieve him. You see, he's not an impersonal force. He's a personal God. He loves you. He loves the people that you hurt when you sin. He loves the joy and the peace that forgiveness can bring. But when you fight him, resist him, disobey him, when we, when we uh, uh, ignore him, we grieve him. Listen, friends, sin is not just breaking God's laws. Sin is breaking God's heart. Because sin, it doesn't just break God's laws, it breaks his heart because because God is not just a law. He's a person. And when we sin, we break his heart. A lot of people read the obituaries in the the paper. 
Once in a while, I'll, I'll do that too. I'll read through them just to make sure my name isn't there. A lot of people, well, I guess, I guess people read through the obituaries because they're, they're maybe seeing if there was any old classmates or school friends or, or people that they knew, or I, I don't know, but they, they read through the obituaries. But you know, when I read through them, I don't usually grieve, right? Because I, I don't have any relational connection to these people. I, I didn't know him. I, I, maybe it was interesting. Oh, he was a, you know, a teacher for 40 years. Oh, he, she was this. Or, and I think that's interesting, but it doesn't, I don't, my heart doesn't grieve, right? You, you follow? It doesn't grieve. But, but when I come across, uh, and, and as a pastor, I stand before a family and I have to read through an obituary of someone that I know, someone that that family loves, someone that I cared about, now my heart grieves. And you see, you're not just some random person that God reads about in the paper. You are his son. You are his daughter. You're not random. And, and, it, and it hurts him. He grieves when you sin. It breaks his heart when we choose less than what he has planned for us. You know, you think about our kids. We pour everything into them. We give them the absolute best that we have. We love them. And so we give them these barriers. We give them these guidelines to keep them from, from not only, uh, uh, you know, from, from what will hurt them. And, and usually when they fight or they rebel or resist, they don't only hurt themselves. They, they hurt other people too. And a lot of times it's other people that we care about. And then we sort of doubly grieve because we grieve for the person who made wrong choices. We know where that's ending. And we grieve for the person that they hurt because we love them too. And, and God, God looks at us and he says, what are, you, what are you doing? God's called us out of that. He says, that's not who you are anymore. Ephesians 4 says, that's who you were. Sure, I know that you were unfaithful. Sure, I know that you, you know, were greedy. Sure, I know that you were selfish. Sure, I know that, that you were a liar. Sure, I know that. But listen, that's not who you are anymore. Now you're my son. Now you're my daughter. I've taken that away from you. I paid for that on the cross. My son died for that. He paid the penalty for that. There's no, no reason for you to go back. Why would you want to go back to that? Instead of living in the joy and the freedom that I can give you, why would you want to grieve me? God says, that's not who you are anymore. God wanted so much better for us. God wanted better for us than going back to our past. God wanted better for us than than killing each other with our words and our actions. God wanted better for us than living below the life that he set out for us to live. And that's why it hurts God so much when we sin. He doesn't condemn us. He just grieves. Choosing less than God designed for us always breaks God's heart. But listen, he would love to restart that relationship with you again. He would love to welcome you back. Just like a parent would, be, would love to hear the words, I'm sorry, I love you. Will you forgive me? Come on. Of course, as a parent, we're gonna say, come here. Absolutely, absolutely I will. God offers that to you. God offers that to you. You're his son, you're his daughter. If you're a believer in Jesus, and he offers to you the chance to restart that friendship, that relationship with him. Let me give three applications that I I thought of uh, this week as I was preparing this message. Three things I want you to think about and kind of stir, maybe write these down. Here's the first, something like this. Where, like David, have you let yourself get lazy? Where have you opened up yourself to major grieving? Where have you kind of put down some defenses so that you are on that path potentially towards really blowing it in your life? Maybe for you, it's something like you, you stopped reading your Bible regularly. It had been a good habit. You were in fight club or, or you were doing it on a regular basis and now you're not. And we learned last week, right? How can we hear the Spirit's voice if we don't know his book? if we're not in there constantly. So maybe you've just gotten lazy with your spiritual discipline of reading your Bible. Or maybe you skip in church more frequently, you know, more things are coming up or you're planning things instead of being and and it's just you kind of maybe lost some priorities there and and more than you used to, you're skipping. Or, Or maybe you've stopped meeting with your accountability partner. Or maybe you haven't shared your faith in a while. Or you've got, you know that God wanted to work in an area in your life and you're having a lot of victory, but now you've kind of gone back to, to who you used to be and you've given up. You've stopped trying or fighting. Or uh, maybe you stopped serving, you were taking a little break, but that break's now turned into a really long time. These things that I'm talking about are all guardrails that we put into our lives to protect us. We all know what a guardrail is, right? A guardrail keeps us from falling off the cliff when we crash. 
You see, we're going to be tempted. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall sometimes as believers. Galatians 5 says that you will, your, whole, the, uh, your old flesh, your old self will battle with the Holy Spirit until you go to heaven. Okay, that's part of life. And what we do then is we put guardrails in our lives to protect us so that when we fall, we don't totally fall off the cliff, right? That's what accountability is. That's what relationships are. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we spend time in God's word. Oh, I already read that. Well, I got to read it again because I'm going to mess up today if I don't. That's why we put those things in our lives. And so some of us are really playing with fire because we've taken away the guardrails that we had put up a while ago or we've never put any up. And maybe you're a new Christian, you got to put up some guardrails. It might mean changing some friends. It might mean changing some places you hang out. We put these guardrails in our places so we don't mess up. So we don't go back to who we were. And so that question is, where, like David, are you operating without guardrails? Think hard about that, Christian. Here's a second thought. When it comes to grieving the Holy Spirit, there is no damage control. When you've grieved the Holy Spirit, you can't just go into damage control like David did. Listen, there is only honest confession and true repentance. That's the only way to get back. That's the only way to restore that relationship with, with the Holy Spirit, that relationship with Jesus, to have that joy again, to have that close, intimate relationship. There's no such thing as damage control. Well, I'm not going to kind of make a big deal of it. I'm just kind of, you know, maybe kind of quietly confess it to God. He's forgiven me. Why do I have to talk to anybody else? Why do I have to go back and make this right? Listen, there is no damage control. There is only honest confession. There is only true repentance. But listen to me, listen to me. When we are confessing, when we are truly repentant, then God can do things in our lives that we think he can't. God can restore relationships. God can work miracles on on your behalf and in your heart when you are willing to truly repent and truly get right. But as long as you're trying to do damage control, as long as you're trying to protect yourself still, you will never have freedom. You will continue to grieve the Holy Spirit. Halfway confession does not count. In fact, there is no such thing because confession is turning the other way and walking the opposite direction. And so there is no damage control. David tried that. It did not work. And then when we look again at Psalm 51, when we read that, we see David was different that time. When Nathan came to him, David did honestly confess his sin. David said, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. Cleanse me, change me, make me a new person. And that type of attitude where we say, I was wrong, I blew it. That is when God can then rush his grace into our lives, his forgiveness into our lives. And he gives us a chance to, at, at that relationship with him that we used to have. That joy of salvation comes back to us and we begin to be lifted up again and our countenance changed and our spirit changes because now we've had confession and repentance. But as long as you're living in sin, Christian, as long as you are continuing to go down that path and you're getting further and further, listen, you will never have that joy. You will never have that freedom. You will continue to have that guilt over you. And and, and I want to tell you something. If you have confessed, if you have made things right, Satan will then come and he will try to put guilt on you. And listen, the Holy Spirit, he convicts us He never makes us feel guilty. He puts conviction on us. That's different. Satan comes then later and tries to keep guilt on us for things that we've made right, for things that are in our past, but that we've made right with God. And listen, that is always from Satan. You just tell him, get out of here. That is not from the Holy Spirit. But once you've made it right, once you've honestly confessed and you've honestly made things right in your heart and your life, then you can have forgiveness. Like a loving father, He welcomes you back with open arms. The third thing that I want you to walk away with, one, you need to think really hard. Where are you operating without guardrails? Two, you need to know there's no damage control. There's only honest confession. There's only repentance. That's that's the only thing that will lead to regaining that relationship with the Spirit. Here's the third thing. It will always be better now than later. It will always be better for you if you make it right now rather than later. Do you know what I mean? It's going to get worse, right? 
the consequences that we pile up on ourselves by continuing to sin. David, he had so many chances to stop along the way, but he kept going down that path. And if you take time this afternoon to read 2 Samuel 12 and on the rest of the chapter, David's life was a mess because of this, what happened right here. I mean, he had forgiveness from God. God restored the joy of his salvation, but the consequences just kind of kept coming up. And I'm telling you, the farther you go down that path of sin, the harder your life is gonna be to try to get back together. It is always better to confess right now rather than later. Don't be fooled into thinking that you have sin under control. No, sin controls you. You can't just have a little bit. No, it will take over your life. It probably already has and you just don't know it. Sin always controls you. And you'll always go further than you thought you were gonna go. He'll always take you in deeper than you thought you were gonna go. It will always, always, always control you. It is much better to get it right now than to wait till later. Listen, these stories are for our warning. Let's take them that way today. For five weeks, we've been hearing these messages on the Holy Spirit how, how great he is, how much he wants to empower us. So why, why, why would we want to grieve him? Why would we not want his freedom, his forgiveness, his power over our lives? Why would we hold on to sin instead of what God offers to us? Lord Jesus, we come to you now and we pray. In these rooms, Holy Spirit, I believe that you are at work And God, I believe in our church, Lord, there are people that are grieving you. Holy Spirit, I know because in my own life, I know that I've done that. I'm certainly not above it. And God, as a pastor who loves our church and loves the people in our church, God, my heart wants them to find that joy, that forgiveness, that freedom again. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in these moments, move in these minutes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict again. And Lord, use me as a Nathan, Lord, to to say, you are that man. You are that woman who is grieving the Spirit of God. And God, I pray that you would be at work and those that are sensing your conviction, your spirit, I pray that today they would not stuff it down as they have. I pray, God, that they would not continue to believe the lie that things are okay, it's not a big deal. God, I pray that you would uh, uh, come and, and, and work and move and convict and give freedom so that even if I have to get up in front of the church, even if I gotta go confess, even if I gotta make stuff right, Lord, that is better. God, we don't want you to send a Nathan to our home. We don't want you to send Nathan to our work because we're going to hold on to it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move right now in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And as we close today, as I pray, this is a chance for you here in the main, for you in the link to make things right to take that first step towards repentance, towards true confession, to letting letting go of of whatever it is you're holding on to that you think is more important than God, and it's not. God offers to you forgiveness and grace, and I pray that today you will take it.